This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, December 29th, 2022. This week, we present our semi-annual list of the 10 most important Mac tips to keep your devices secure and your privacy undisturbed. You may have heard these tips before, but they're each worth knowing, and they all bear repeating. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. I hope you had an enjoyable Christmas. We are in that week now between Christmas and the New Year. And well, this isn't really a New Year's resolution episode, but we're going to give you 10 things that you can do to improve the security and privacy of your Mac, iPhone, and iPad. And you might want to consider some of them as New Year's resolutions if you're not already doing them. Yeah, that's actually, that's a great idea. These are some great tips, and, and you've probably heard us talk about some of these things before, but maybe some of these things will be new to you. You've certainly heard us talk about most of these things if you've been paying attention to the podcast, but sometimes it's very useful to have things in a list like this. We'll link to the article I've written on the Intego Mac security blog, and you'll note that each of the points that I talk about links to other articles on the blog. So consider these to be sort of launching pads to get you more information about each of the topics. I think the most important one and the one I put first is use strong passwords. Passwords are everything, passwords and passcodes for our iOS devices. Use strong passwords. How many times do we have to say that to convince everyone to use strong passwords? Unfortunately, this is one of those things that is really hard for people to do. And I think part of it gets into the the next item that we have, which is using a password manager. We'll get to in a second. No spoilers. Oh, sorry. Sorry. The problem is like you tell people use strong passwords, but you also tell people use unique passwords. And how are people supposed to remember a whole bunch of long, complex passwords? So some people have, you know, different techniques for this. Sometimes people will, for example, use a passphrase that's specific to each individual site that they log into, and those can be more easy to remember. Remember, for in many cases, you can use a sentence, you can use like punctuation and spaces and things like that in a password. Not every website will allow that, but many do. Also, this is also where it gets a little bit complicated, is that some sites limit you to a certain number of characters. They limit you to certain special characters. And so it's it's kind of a pain. But the longer your password is, and generally speaking, the more complex, in, or, in other words, like the more types of characters, upper, lower, you know, number, special characters the better your password is, the more difficult it's going to be for somebody to, for example, brute force guess that password. And this point links to two articles, four types of passwords you shouldn't create unless you want your account hacked to show, well, basically the passwords that are used most, like one, two, three, four, five, six, and then four tips for creating secure passwords to learn how to make stronger passwords. For me, I settled years ago on 14 character random passwords 
things that I could never remember even under duress. But the way I managed to use them is point two, using a password manager. And you gave a spoiler already about that before. And that's exactly why, though. Password managers are really important these days. And, and I know some people are really hesitant to use password managers because, you know, then you're putting all your passwords in one place. And so theoretically, if somebody can get into your password manager, now they can get access to all of your passwords. And so that's kind of scary. I admit that. However, if you have a good password manager, for uh, first of all, you should choose a good password manager, one that's from a reliable, trustworthy company that's been around for a while, ideally, and that you know is going to do a good job of protecting your sensitive data that you're storing in that password manager. So once you've chosen a good password manager, you also need to make sure that you're using one very good, unique, strong password to get into that password manager. Right. It's no surprise that one of the most popular password managers is called 1Password because you only need to know one password to get access to all the others. So that 1Password, you need to think of something that you will not forget, but that no one else can figure out. Now, in, in the past couple of years, the keychain on macOS and iOS has been improved greatly. And you can use this if you're only using Apple devices. Your one password for that is your Apple ID password. And that has to be really secure but memorable. So as far as choosing a good password manager, we have a couple of articles on the Mac security blog, again, linked to from this article, that talk about, for one, using Apple's iCloud keychain and how you can use that as your password manager. And if you prefer not to use that, if you want to use something that's a little bit more cross-platform, there's plenty of other password managers as well. And so we've got a few additional recommendations. One password, of course, as Kirk mentioned, is, is a popular one. There are a number of others too that have a good reputation and are widely used. But but Keychain is a great option, actually, and it's free. It comes with all Apple devices. Now, you might assume that you can only get access to your iCloud keychain and those passwords that you've stored there on your Apple devices, but Apple actually has something called iCloud for Windows, and you can access your iCloud keychain on Windows PCs as well. Unfortunately, there's no Android option right now. I don't know whether Apple's ever going to make an Android option for this, but if you're mostly using Apple devices and you also have maybe a Windows computer that you're using as well, this could be a good solution for you. Okay, regarding passwords, for a long time, you may work in a company that tells you every month you have to change your password. And this was gospel for many years that because, I don't know, there's a worry that someone would have found out your password, so you have to change it just in case. This is no longer considered normal. Unless there's a data breach, you don't need to change your password. Both the U.S. Federal Trade Commission and the U.K.'s National Cybersecurity Center recommend against changing passwords. And there's a simple reason why. If you've come up with my great password and you're going to remember that and it's really easy and next month your boss says you got to change it, you're just going to change it to my great password too. You've, you've internalized that password. You're not going to want to change it completely to Joe's terrible password or some other random thing. So don't change passwords unless you absolutely have to, but make sure you've got those strong passwords. Right. And, and as you mentioned, the, there are scenarios where it does make sense to change a password, a data breach, if there's a known data breach, if some company has said, you know, some information of theirs is leaked, it could potentially include passwords. That's a time when you definitely do want to make sure that you're changing your password. 
Another scenario where it might be a good idea to change your password is if you have been reusing the same password on multiple sites, it's a good idea to review that and change passwords that you've used in multiple places because it's very likely that at some point or other that password's been leaked in a data breach. And so you want to make sure that you're not using any of those old passwords that you've used across multiple sites anywhere anymore. A good password manager and iCloud Keychain will let you know if you've reused passwords and if your passwords have been detected in a data breach. So it's worth checking that. The one problem I have with this about reusing passwords is you have the same account on every Amazon website in every country and on Audible and on Goodreads and every Amazon property. So the password manager is going to tell you you've reused your password because it's different websites, but you're not reusing it because it's the same username and password for all the different websites. Depending on your password manager, you might have the option to enter multiple domains all under one entry. So in that Amazon example, you could list Amazon.com, Amazon.co.uk, and whatever other variations, Audible.com, Comixology.com, any other Amazon-owned property. You could list all of those under that one entry for Amazon, and that should reduce that possibility of getting these false positive alerts about reusing passwords. Okay. I mentioned with the first point that not only should you have strong passwords, but you need a strong passcode on your mobile devices. And this is probably the most important because if someone gets into your iPhone, they can get access to a lot of information. We linked to a story about hackers who stole an iPhone and cracked the passcode and they could then change the Apple ID password, email account passwords and all that. Now, I remember the earliest iPhones gave you the option to set a passcode. And if you wanted to set a passcode, it was four digits. And then they increased it to giving you the option to set six digits and more. And then they started a few years ago requiring a minimum of six digits. Back in the day, not when I had my first iPhone, but when I had my first iPod Touch, I didn't put a passcode on it. But I wasn't really using it for anything other than listening to music and stuff like that. That passcode is really important. Now, six digits is not enough. Trust me, you need at least, you need more than six because if you create a passcode with more than six digits, someone who tries to unlock the phone won't know how many digits or characters there are that they need to enter in the passcode. Nine, 10, 12 digits. People tend to use dates for the six digits, but you could use two dates together as 12 digits, and that would be an awful lot more secure. Right. My recommendation, of course, is to use a password, something more than just digits. You can use any combination of, uh, again, upper, lowercase, special characters and all that sort of thing. It's, It's entirely possible to sign into an iPhone with that. And the frequency at which you're going to have to enter that long, complex password to get into your phone, again, it doesn't have to be super long or complex. I recommend doing that. That's what I do. I have a pretty long and complex password to get into my iPhone. But again, most of the time, you're probably going to be using Face ID or Touch ID, depending on your phone model. And it's very rare that you really need to type in that full password. And so I think it's a great idea to to use a good, long, strong password to get into your because getting into your phone means that somebody can have access to a lot of other things, including your email and a, a bunch of other things that you really don't want other people to have access to. OK, in addition to having a strong password, is that enough to protect your devices? 
In most cases, for serious services or for your personal devices, you should be using two-factor authentication. This combines something you know, which is your username and password, and something you have, which is a code that's generated by a device you have, or in Apple's implementation of two-factor authentication, a code is sent to a different device that you've already logged into and trusted, so you can log into a new device. I have one complaint about Apple's two-factor authentication. Almost every time I log into an Apple website and trust Safari, I have to enter the two-factor code. It doesn't seem to remember that. And I guess it's security, but it doesn't remember that. Whenever you can use two-factor authentication, if possible, using an app that generates a code, Apple's iCloud Keychain can do that, password managers. The fallback is to use SMS, where you get a six-digit code sent as a text message. There are a lot of services that only offer that. The problem is it's slightly insecure, but it's better than nothing. Exactly. Yeah, th that's my recommendation as well. Whenever possible, use a time-based one-time password. Sometimes this is just abbreviated TOTP. You might also see other acronyms or abbreviations for it. But but that's the idea behind it is that it rotates. Um, you'll notice every you know X number of seconds, it changes to a new one. And typically, you can have multiple authenticator apps. You could have a password manager. You could maybe also use a Google Authenticator. Or, or some other authentication app. And so if you lose access to one, you may still be able to get it in another place. But that's really much, much better than SMS. If you only have SMS as your two-factor option, at least use that. Like you say, it's better than nothing. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got five more tips for keeping your devices secure. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego world-class protection, and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, another spoiler that John mentioned earlier in the first part of the episode is to use Face ID or Touch ID or any sort of biometric login that you may have on non-Apple devices. The real advantage to this is that you can create a really long, complex password that you don't need to enter often. One of the things that Apple did a few years ago was require you to re-enter your passcode on your devices every X days. I don't know exactly how many it is, or if you haven't logged into a device for a while. 
But those are the only times you're going to need to enter that passcode if you're using Touch ID or Face ID. The only other times if you restart a device after an update or something like that. But it's very rare that you actually have to enter the entire passcode. Touch ID and Face ID are extremely secure, so they're an awful lot easier to use. And it, you can just have a much longer passcode if you're depending on Touch ID and Face ID for most of your logins. Right. I've noticed what you mentioned that if if it's been a few days since the last time I logged into my MacBook Air, which has Touch ID, then I'll have to retype my password. Same thing with a phone or other device too. iPads work the same way. So that's one of the scenarios that I alluded to earlier where you might need to actually type in your whole password to get into the device. But aside from that, uh, you know, most of the time you're just going to be able to authenticate and get in really quickly. And it's very reliable and secure as well. We've mentioned before that, you know, Face ID, there are some potential ways that, you know, somebody may be able to get in. If you have an identical twin, they can very likely get right into your device that uses Face ID. Touch ID, though, is not something that's easy as easy to spoof. Certainly identical twins have different fingerprints, and so they're not going to be able to get into your device. There may be, you know, Tom Cruise type ways to lift a fingerprint and, and maybe log into Touch ID. But if such a, a method exists, it's very difficult to, to pull off. I've seen some YouTube videos where they claim to be able to do something like this, but most of the time they're just scams. You know, in some of those Mission Impossible movies, they have these masks that are so realistic that they fool everyone. And I remember a story at the beginning of when Face ID was rolled out that some companies that made masks for, for movies actually did some trials and were able to spoof it. But that's an awful lot of work. And that is really a Tom Cruise thing. Someone who just steals your phone isn't going to go to the trouble of making a mask to try and imitate you. Well, yeah, when Apple first introduced Face ID, they said, we went to Hollywood Studios and nobody was able to break in. And then shortly after that, within a few months of Face ID devices coming out, then there were security researchers that were able to create these masks that didn't look like Hollywood masks. Like they wouldn't fool any human, but they were able to figure out the specific points that they could use to fool Face ID. And of course, Apple has improved the system since then. So it's much less susceptible to failure through spoofing attacks and things like that. Okay, next tip is use encrypted messaging. And the reason for this is you may be sending really sensitive information via messaging. You could send passwords, financial information, personal photos. I mean, come on, young people, they send personal photos all the time, apparently. This is not my generation. SMS is not encrypted. It can be intercepted. People can clone your phone and be able to access everything that's going through your SIM card. So you really need to use encrypted messaging. Now, Apple's iMessage is encrypted end to end. There are other apps like Signal and Telegram that are also encrypted. I think Facebook Messenger very soon. I think WhatsApp is already encrypted. So if you do want to send sensitive information, make sure you're using encrypted messaging. But also be aware that when you need to send someone sensitive information, you can do so with this. If you need to send someone a password and you know that they're the only person who can see the message, then you can do this via iMessage or some other apps. Yeah, a couple of caveats in there. If you are backing up your iMessages to iCloud and you don't have the new 
advanced data protection enabled, then your iMessages may be accessible to Apple employees if they were required to turn them over, for example, to uh, a government that requested them. However, with advanced protection enabled, you can back up iMessages to iCloud and have them be fully into and encrypted even in that scenario. One other point, Telegram has the option to encrypt chats, but it's not on by default. So that's another thing that people should should be aware of. My preferred secure messaging app is Signal, always has been. I have used Threema in the past. There is a, a $2.99 you know, fee to, to download the app, but once you get it installed, it works really well, and that's another good option as well. My third option would, would be WhatsApp. It uses the same protocol as Signal, but of course, it's owned by Facebook, and so you know there are some potential privacy concerns there. But at least as far as into and encrypted chats, it does give you that option, and it's very widely used across the world as well. Okay, use full disk encryption. Now, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, this is just the way it works. Everything is encrypted. It's protected by your passcode. If you have a Mac, this is not on by default. Apple's File Vault is a full disk encryption feature that's been part of macOS for years. It's the first thing you should turn on on a new Mac. You should go into System Settings, General File Vault, and turn it on. FileVault used to take a long time to start working with spinning hard drives. Now with SSDs, it's relatively quick. It's really important because when we get to our last tip about Find My, which allows you to track your devices and remotely erase them, having FileVault on makes sure that no one can get to your data, literally no one, unless they have your password. Now, FileVault encrypts your startup drive, but you can also encrypt other drives that you connect to your Mac. And in this article, I have a link to another article, How to Encrypt and Password Protect Files on Your Mac. So you can find out how to use FileVault, encrypt other drives, make encrypted disk images, and all sorts of other ways of protecting files. Interestingly, when FileVault first came out, the first version of it was only able to encrypt a particular user's home folder. And Apple eventually came out with File Vault 2 that allowed you to do the full disk encryption that really is more desirable because it prevents, for example, an attacker from getting access to caches, to shared folders, and other things like that. I think initially it was too slow and we were working with spinning disks. I remember it really slowed down the Mac and I turned it off until File Vault 2 came on, then I was able to start using it again. Well, and also remember when Apple first introduced this feature, it wasn't on by default. And so people went to go enable this, and then they already had a ton of data on their drive. When you buy a new Mac and you enable File Vault, you have very little data on the drive, and so it enables very quickly. Okay, number nine, keep your apps and devices up to date. And I, I would say 10% of this podcast is about updates, security updates, and vulnerabilities that are fixed in updates. This is one of the most important things to ensure your security and privacy because, you know, an operating system is millions of lines of code. And when it's working with apps and other services, there are so many things that can go wrong. We can't expect this stuff to be perfect. But what we can expect is the companies that make this software to react quickly when flaws and vulnerabilities are found. So update everything as soon as possible. Although Josh is kind of hesitant about updating things too quickly, isn't he? 
Occasionally. So one of the things that you should probably be cautious about is when a brand new operating system comes out for compatibility reasons, you might want to just, you know, wait a week or so just to see kind of how things go and whether other people have really major problems moving to that new operating system. There have been a couple of times in the past where Apple has introduced new vulnerabilities and new versions of an operating system, but those are relatively few and far between. And Apple does patch a ton of vulnerabilities only for the new operating system when they release a new OS. And also the patches going forward from that point, typically Apple will release some patches for certain vulnerabilities in the two previous operating systems, but they patch everything for the current operating system. So generally speaking, yes, you do want to stay on the latest version of your operating system. A couple other things that we should mention under this umbrella of keeping your apps and devices up to date, you definitely want to make sure that you're also keeping your router up to date as well. If it's been several years since the last time that you got a router firmware update, well, that might be a hint that they're not releasing updates for it anymore. And that might mean that it's insecure and it could be vulnerable to attack from some of these bots that are out there that are looking for known vulnerabilities on devices that are connected to the internet. And that could mean that somebody could, you know, inject malicious code into your router. They could be using that to spy on you. They could be using that to send denial of service attacks across the internet and all sorts of things. So make sure that you're using a relatively recent router and at least check, I would say maybe every couple of months just to see whether there's firmware updates available for your router. If it's been more than a year and there's no updates, it's probably time for you to update to a newer router. Okay, step number 10, and the last one is turn on Find My on all your devices. Find My is this wonderful Apple feature that you can use to track where your devices are. We used this when the AirTag came out a year and a half ago to follow an AirTag from my home in the West Midlands in the UK to someone south of London. And since there are so many people with iPhones along the route, obviously postal workers, it was able to track the AirTag everywhere. The, the Find My network is all of Apple's devices that opt in. I think you actually have to opt out of the Find My network. But what it means is that if you've lost something, there's going to be an iPhone nearby eventually, and it's going to record the location. Now, that's one thing. That's privacy and security in the sense of finding a lost device. But what's more important is if you have lost a device, you can remotely erase it. So someone who finds the device can't try to get into it. If you followed all these other tips and you've got a strong passcode and all that, then you may not have to worry. But even it's still better if your device is lost or stolen, it's better to remotely erase it. Now, this ties into FileVault. Using FileVault full disk encryption means that you don't need to actually erase the whole device to make the content unreadable. It's encrypted. You just erase that bit which allows a password to unlock the device. It's very quick. It doesn't, it's not like it takes hours to erase an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac, depending on how much data is on it. It's almost instantaneous. So this is the best way to protect your data if your devices are lost or stolen. Yeah, exactly. That's a great tip. So a lot of people think of Find My as being something that can be used to track you and spy on you or whatever. Potentially, some if somebody were to get a hold of your phone, like maybe 
uh, you trusted somebody and handed your phone to them and, uh, you know, so they could, I don't know, make a call. And if they enabled find my location sharing so that they could see where you are at any time, of course, you eventually you'd be able to find that out. You, you can certainly go into your find my app and see who you're currently sharing your location with. But Theoretically, this could be used as a stalking tool. I, I don't really think that this is too often a big concern, but it is something that you should be aware of. It's a good idea to to just make sure that you're sharing your location only with people that you really trust to know where you are at any given time. Okay, that's 10 tips that you can use to improve the security and privacy of your Mac, iPhone, and iPad. As we said in the beginning, maybe these can be New Year's resolutions. I'll link to the article on the Intego Mac Security blog, which in turn links to a whole bunch of articles about each of these topics. Consider this to be your security and privacy encyclopedia that will answer pretty much all the questions you need to keep your data secure and to protect your privacy. And on that note, if you have any questions for us at any time, you can always email us, podcast at intego.com. We'd love to get user questions, user feedback. So let us know if you have any thoughts and, and things that you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. Okay, Josh, until next year, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>